from the inkwells of Noir. To the digital screens of today. The kids present the comic book character of the month. celebration of manga month here on Kirby's Kids with our comic book character of the month Jonathan Joestar from Jojo's Bizarre Adventures Hirohiko Arake wrote manga in theory and practice the craft of creating manga in 2015 it was published in Japan with a 2017 Printing here in America. The translation done by Nathan A. Collins coming out on Viz Media. This is an absolutely beautiful book and one that is very much in the hardback graphic novel style of all of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventures series. And Arake felt the need to pass along his knowledge. And I greatly appreciate this. At this stage in his career, he's really taking a mentor role to younger magaka who are coming up and trying to create a name for themselves. Not only that, but I think he understands the devout following that he has for his works. and has a sense of wanting to secure legacy here and doing it in the most giving way possible through this book. There have been a lot of how-to guides. I know for me, I grew up with the luminaries of the day, you know, creating the Marvel way or drawing the Marvel way and introductions by Stan Lee. And then you had... Bushema in there and several other artists who were lending in their wisdom with respect to how they create, how they really perform at their craft and giving you insights to all of those aspiring artists and storytellers. So very much in that spirit, we have this brilliant work, manga in theory and practice. And After reading it, I 
wanted to make sure that I bought a copy actually for my own son who is into world building and creating worlds. And matter of fact, I would recommend this book to anyone who is an aspiring author, who is an aspiring cartoonist, who is an aspiring filmmaker, script writer. The fundamentals of storytelling and the insights here provided by Arake are really, really valuable. I cannot say enough really good things about this work. And in our previous episode, in part, part one, we reviewed the video that delved into designing characters, taking from chapter three in this book. But what I thought I'd do here, since we're celebrating our comic book character of the month, is I would delve into chapter four, how to write a story, while also providing overview of the other chapters in this book. So when looking at our book here, Manga and Theory and Practice, The Craft of Creating Manga, in our introduction, we get right up front why Araki is writing this book. It says, my goal in writing this book is to guide you down the royal road to creating manga. Or to put it more simply, this is a how-to book. Specifically, it's a manga how-to book, which one might assume has an audience limited to the scant few people who want to write and draw manga. After reading these pages, perhaps only a small number will become professional manga creators or mangaka. Or maybe only one, or not at all. If I were to make a manga instead of writing this book, that manga would certainly find a far larger readership. And yet, this is a book I want to write, if only for that one person. That said, the royal road to creating manga is relevant to more than just manga. In one way or another, I believe this knowledge has universal applications. And frankly, this is so true. This is me editorializing here as I'm reading this. And that's why I bought a hard copy of this to give to my son. Much of the process of creating stories and characters from manga applies to novels and films. Just as methods of drawing due to painting and idea development generally can be useful in many other professions, the perspective from which fictional settings are constructed could also overlap with studies into social structures or science. Because manga, as a medium, has developed as an amalgamation of all those different fields, I'm always keeping my antenna tuned to those worlds. From the point of view, the royal road to manga should be taught universally rather than merely to those who wish to create manga. This is first and foremost a book for those who want to become mangaka. But... I also hope it will provide new avenues of thought to all who read it. He goes on to describe the golden way. Through my more than three decades of making manga, I've learned much by repeated trial and error. In this book, I will write about the knowledge I've gained about how to create a manga that adheres to the royal road. But this is just one snapshot of the progress of manga as an art form, what I call the golden way. 
which has existed invariably since long ago. If you want to create manga, I hope you will learn the royal road to manga, that you will pursue the golden way with awareness. The royal road to manga will lead you to creating works that will be beloved and thus passed down across the generations. Those would be satisfied with a single temporary hit, even if they end up striking upon several successes will not truly understand the royal road to manga. As a word of advance warning, that attitude won't keep a mangaka going for long. Manga is not so lenient. So when he's talking about following this road, it, it, there are certain laws, truths, best practices that he shares with us in how he has decided to pursue manga. And when doing so, he divides up the book into chapters to specifically give fantastic examples of what he's talking about. In getting started, he really puts a challenge out to the reader, and that is find the five W's and one H, the foundation of the first panel. Just get started. You know, the who, what, where, why, when, and how. And he provides guidance on how to just get started because this entire process can be overwhelming to a first-time writer, mangaka, artist, illustrator, storyboard creator, script writer. And that chapter one of Getting Started is really a pep talk as well as providing specific enablers to allow the artist to get started. So in chapter two, he delves into mastering the four major fundamentals of manga structure. And when he delves into those, he really goes deep in providing what is in his opinion, through practice, the most valuable things to focus in on. And in order of importance, he says, they are characters, number one, story, number two, setting, three, themes, four. Now, these four elements are not independent, but rather they deeply, mutually influence one another. Your art is then your ultimate tool to expand and unify these elements aided by your dialogue. In other words, what your readers will see is the artwork, but behind those drawings exist the interconnected elements of characters, story, setting, and theme. The structure provides the makeup of an entire world or even a universe. I believe that manga is the most powerful multidisciplinary art form because it is capable of simultaneously expressing the four major fundamentals and art and writing. A creative person without the ability to draw can become an author or scriptwriter, and one without the ability to write can become a painter. But a mangaka must be able to do everything. And there is a wonderful illustration here of the four major fundamentals of manga structure. He then goes on in this chapter to break down 
those elements and define them with wonderful precision. Then chapter three, we covered in our previous episode, designing characters. In short summary, you want to make sure you make your list of motivations. You want to sketch out your character. We delved into the very, very detailed two-page character profiles that he does on every one of his characters, protagonists, antagonists, complementary characters, you name it. So he then begins to understand the basic human desires and motivations. And he then can craft out how the allure of evil characters can really appeal to a reader. And then once he knows the makeup, what makes those folks tick, bravery begets empathies. Reader will most strongly empathize with motivations such as those listed with your characters face their obstacles with bravery. Take that ultimate dilemma of a hero having to choose between either saving a child or a friend. Situations such as that present the best opportunity for a main character to display their bravery. And he also delves into the contrast of the hero and the villain and how that's very, very important. And defining how heroes fight alone, how they prove their worth. And in these chapters, you really get a detailed account of how Arake goes about his character design. Very, very valuable. So when we get into our next chapter, and this is the one I want to spend the most time on here in this episode, and that is how to write a story. And we found out earlier on that Arake is really of the belief that compelling characters are most important. The setting is extremely important. But that story, at times, can get in the way. And he says this, when stories get in the way, when I described the four major fundamentals of manga structure, I wrote, it's possible for a manga to succeed based on characters or setting alone, but I can't think of a manga that stands on nothing but its story. A manga written on nothing but plot developments would probably end up like a locked room mystery, the core of which is the solving of tricks and riddles and battles of wits. The characters of note tend to be limited to the detective and the criminal, and they often feel the same as in countless other books. These types of works can have a shortcoming of motionless characters. Let me explain what I mean. In shonen manga, characters often lead a story into different directions. And he gives the example of take the Kadachi Shonen no Jikenbo, the Kadachi Case Files, which was strongly influenced by classic mystery novels. At first glance, the manga seems centered on its stories. But in reality, the main character, a high school student named Hajime Kadachi, is the grandson. Kosuki Kandashi, a famous fictional private detective in Japan. And the stories place focus on his family legacy and his interactions with his friends and on how his in he investigates. The pattern is that the story working on behalf of the characters. The opposite of that 
where the characters change to suit a story must be avoided. For example, let's say you have a protagonist, we'll call him A, who is established as being a Shinjuku who loves Shinjuku. If you make the story about something happening in Osaka, a city, that has nothing to do with protagonist A, now you have to come up with some forced, laborious explanation for why A is in this city that he cares nothing about. If your character loves Shinjuku, the more natural setting for him to operate would be in Shinjuku. In other words, the character determines the story, not the other way around. I'm not saying that no one can make a manga that centers on story and puzzles like a locked room mystery novel. I even think it would be interesting to see. But just know that by choosing to go against manga's royal road, you'd be challenging yourself to an uphill battle. So there are these cautionary tales that he seeds into this sage advice that he's giving the reader at all times. So he proceeds to reveal some other truths as far as how these stories should develop. He says, the protagonist always rises. Whether you're working in long form or short, when it comes to the story, the two ironclad rules are you follow the Kishinkintsu structure and that your protagonist is always rising even if you're changing up the structure. So I'll use Jojo Part 1, Phantom Blood, as an example, which was our read for this month. At the beginning, the protagonist, Jonathan, is a young man with a happy life and a noble family, but his enemy, Dio, kills his dog, lays his hands on his girlfriend, and drives him into one hardship after another. If you're looking at that graph baseline, Jonathan is on the negative side here. And these baselines are wonderful, these graphic illustrations here. If you're reading that story in graphic novel form, that section is not a very large portion of the whole. But in a weekly manga magazine, where manga only gets 19 pages an issue, that meant that Jonathan remained on the negative side for two or three weeks. That can be tough on a weekly manga. And sure enough, the readers didn't take to it. And I could feel their growing dislike of the constantly beat-up protagonist. When an installment ends with a feeling of defeat, the reader's emotions will stay down on the negative side with the protagonist. And that will be reflected in the reader surveys. You'll get the best results by ending each week with some kind of victory if possible. But keep in mind that at the time I intended for the story to begin with Dio invading Jonathan's world and to start at the negative point from which Jonathan would rise. Though the reader spent about a month thinking, this hero just loses all the time, during what was likely a tough read, I drew those chapters with the hope that they would stick with it for the ascent. By the way, Dio also moves in a rising direction. Like Jonathan, Dio accepts and embraces his evil nature and follows his dark path without hesitation. 
In other words, both Jonathan and Dio are living life and everything they've got, and both always maintain a rising personal arc. The violent clashes between those rising forces of good and evil form the basis of JoJo's series, and though the heroes and villains are always changing, that foundation has remained from part one all the way to today. So there are some insights specifically into what we read and as it relates to story. The other section here on story that I want to delve into are not only some cautions by Rake, but then also an insight to a critical story element in JoJo's. So spoilers if you have not read our selection this month. I first want to touch on these story taboos. While I'm talking about failing story patterns, this would be a good time to go over various things that mustn't be included in a story. Number one, the author speaks. This is right at the top of the list of what techniques not to use. When the author inserts himself outside the panel, it's usually meant as a kind of fan service, and super fans might indeed be happy with it. But the story is what's most important, and interrupting it in this way creates a sudden rupture in the narrative. Okay, number two. Coincidences. Say your protagonist is in a pinch, and then a meteoric sudden meteorite suddenly falls, or a police officer happens to walk by, or an old ally shows up to save the day, or a god or gods appear, or a divine storm comes rushing in, or some other happenstance. It's not going to make for a particularly convincing resolution, is it? Third, the protagonist blunders. No matter how much trouble you're having coming up with an idea to put the protagonist into a conflict, you mustn't make the protagonist blunder into a problem of their own creation. That in itself is a negative-oriented story. Number four, it was all a dream. This is my absolute least favorite literary device. The protagonist was the criminal all along, is in a similar vein. These resolutions only betray the reader who has become deeply invested in the story and has been living it alongside the protagonist. So with all of that, let's now delve into Araki's explanation into, and this is major spoiler, why I killed our comic book character of the month here, Jonathan Joestar. If the protagonist arc must remain positive, then it stands to reason that no matter what else happens, the protagonist must win at the end. A happy end is the very foundation of the Golden Way. That said, depending on one's philosophy, that rule can be bent. The hero making a sacrifice to save someone else is royal road to shonen manga. And if the protagonist has to lose for that noble goal, and it comes at the end of the story, the loss could mean the protagonist's death. Offering one's own life to save another may seem on the surface as a terrible, negative-oriented development, but it can also be a positive, happy ending. When Jonathan dies in order to save his beloved wife and child at the end of JoJo's first story arc, that is a bending of the always-stay-positive rule. 
Killing off the protagonist is about as negative as a negative can be, and is unthinkable in shonen manga. But I sense that in order for the Joestar family's noble lineage to be passed down, Jonathan needed to die. I know that readers might have been disappointed by his death, but Jonathan's blood and spirit passed on to the second protagonist, Joseph. My stories involve a shift from one protagonist to the next. While that's important, and what's important, carries on. We see this in works ranging from Steinbeck's famous novel, East of Eden, a tale patterned on the story of Cain and Abel, of two families in turn-of-the-century America, to Akio Chiba's manga Captain, where successive captains build a nothing baseball team into champions. When a story's themes include that of passing a torch, the death or replacement of a protagonist is acceptable. I might even suggest that what makes these stories masterpieces, when I killed Jonathan in part one, some people said, can you do that? What happens to the stories now? But I thought back to East of Eden and Captain and took heart. If you gamble by taking on that extreme negative, you must do so with the understanding of the rule of positives and negatives, and you must be looking ahead to how you will convert it into being a positive. In Jojo, Jonathan's son Joseph was the positive that enabled me to take that risk. So there is his explanation, Arake is the master here, of what he did and why he did it in JoJo's. We go on to our remaining chapters in this really, really insightful book. And in chapter five, he delves into art expressing everything. The must-haves of popular manga art, realism and signification, how to pursue both at the same time. If you keep drawing the same things, you'll become outdated. Learning the meaning of objects. Being the master of the golden ratio. Learning to draw. And that the paper is more important than the pen. How you use space. Then, in chapter six, he gets into the settings in manga. And what is a setting? And, you know, readers want to be immersed. How compelling is your setting? The sense of distance, how to create a setting. Some things can't be researched online. And then all of the elements connecting to the theme is chapter seven, where the theme connects the four major fundamentals all together. And he really brings it home there. And then finally, he finishes up with two implementation examples and sums it up in a great conclusion. I would highly recommend manga in theory and practice the craft of creating manga by hirohiko arake if you are a storyteller an aspiring writer an aspiring magika cartoonist a designer of scripts of storyboards a lover of film who wishes to make film. I think all of these elements here 
that he brings to bear and his wisdom are very valuable and this is a great reference book for any creative as they're either starting out in the creative process or if you're a veteran of your craft and just want some words of wisdom some golden nuggets here to kickstart your efforts we all in the creative phases of our lives sometimes get into ruts and this one right here this book is one to help get you out of it and from that standpoint i hope any creative who is always in the pursuit of knowledge will seek out this book and i hope for all of you who are fans of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, have enjoyed our read this month, have enjoyed the insights here of Arakang, and will look forward to our deep dive and extensive review of our graphic novel selection, as well as the corresponding first nine episodes of Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, which can be viewed on Netflix that JJ and I will review when we do our graphic novel of the month review 